I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode 134. And in this episode, we'll explore the concept of a buyer's agent, which is fast becoming the norm in Australia. It's also very, very common in the United States. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via my Facebook page. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. I call them the three E's. Number one is to be educated. To improve your education and improve your financial literacy means it leads to the second aim, which is to be empowered. So you can take this knowledge to your credentialed financial advisor or accountant and speak at a level that both of you can understand in. And the third E is to be entertained. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make after listening to one of my episodes back to your credentialed advisors. In other words, Don't listen to some random guy ranting on the internet about money. But if you're stuck on what to do in terms of basic principles, here are some simple steps to get you on the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, I think there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is you've got to pay yourself first. Take 20% of after-tax money and put it aside. Now, if you want to do 30% or 40% of after-tax money, that's fine. But you've got to do a minimum of 20% of after-tax money. Why? Because you're the most important person in your life. Step two is you've got to take that money and invest it. Ideally, into something you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand the stock market and index funds, so I just plow my money into index funds. Step three is you've got to reinvest dividends. When you invest into investments, it has to have two purposes. It has to rise in value over the long term. And during that time, it has to pay you an income. And dividends are income. So the power of compounding by reinvesting dividends is phenomenal. Step four is you've got to do it for that long term. Now, I'm not talking 5, 10, 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30, if not 40 plus years. The longer you do it, the better it is for you, which means the earlier you start, the better it is for you. And last but not least, my favorite step five is wherever possible, automate things. Automate the investments forever. Because if you automate things, you're less likely to forget and more likely to follow the plan. Now, if you just do these five simple steps, you're probably going to have more money than you'll ever need. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't buy you happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, 
but most importantly, the lives of people around you a lot better. Now, before we go into the main topic of buyer's agents, I had a question from Dr. Yude, who asks, Hi Dev, thanks for your podcast. Can you explain what is a constitutionally protected super fund? That's a brilliant question. Um, No one's ever asked me that question before, so I thought I'd share it on the podcast. So thanks for that. A lot of people don't know about these types of super funds. Um, And they're also called untaxed super funds, which is a little bit misleading. And I'll talk to you about it a bit later in the episode. Now, the other thing about constitutionally protected super funds is that they're reducing as we go into the future. So let's go into the details a little bit more here. So what are constitutionally protected funds? Well, they're basically super funds which are run by state governments. And by law, the Commonwealth, the federal government, is not allowed to tax states' assets. And that's why these funds are also referred to as untaxed super funds. But again, it's misleading. The term untaxed means when you contribute to the super fund, there is no contributions taxed. But it doesn't mean you never pay tax on the investment returns. Now, while the money is in the super fund, they don't pay any tax on the earnings within the super fund. But you do eventually have to pay some tax. Again, we'll go into that a bit more detail coming up. Some of the well-known constitutionally protected funds are GESB, which is West State Super, Gold State Super, which is in WA, Super South Australia or Super SA, and the Defence Force Super and Retirement Accounts. So let's use an example to basically highlight this concept of constitutionally protected funds. Amy is a state employee and has a constitutionally protected super fund. She earns $100,000 per year, which means her employer will put $10,000 into a super fund. For traditional super funds, the way this would work is $10,000 would go into the super account, of which about $1,500 will go to the ATO, and this is called 15% contributions tax. Then, Amy would probably receive around $8,500, which will actually go into a super fund for investments. But because Amy is in a state employee and has a constitutionally protected super fund, it means the entire $10,000 hits the super fund and there is no contributions tax at all. Now, this is a great thing for Amy because more of the money is actually working for her and her retirement. Now, does that mean that the $10,000 is not counted towards Amy's concessional contributions limit of $27,500 per year? Now, it after 2017, the law states that that 10000 will be counted towards her constitutionally, you know, um, protected funds. So in other words, after 2017, the 10000 gets counted towards the $27,500. But before 2017, amazingly, it wasn't counted towards the concessional contributions limit. So before 2017... Amy could have contributed on top of the $27,500. So, sounds too good to be true. When do fund members actually pay any taxes? 
Now, they pay taxes when they leave the fund. Um, and, you know, just when you thought the government was giving something for free, they're not going to give anything for free. So even though it's called untaxed, what it actually means is all of the money goes into the super fund and there is no contributions taxed. And you're allowed to build up the untaxed component within your super to about a million and a million five. So if you exceed that untaxed cap, then tax is payable between 47 and 49%. So again, nothing is free. Now, what happens if you contribute concessionally to another fund, which is not a constitutionally protected fund? It doesn't matter. As long as you keep the entire concessionally contributed funds to less than $27,500, you're not affected by the excess contributions tax. So the same rules apply. Now, it's actually quite a complex system. So let's use a real example to highlight this point. Suppose Amy earns $260,000 per year and gets paid $26,000 into a constitutionally protected fund. So that's the 10% super. In addition to this, let's say she contributes another $10,000 into a taxed super fund, just like any other industry super fund. So therefore, her total concessional contributions is the sum of $26,000 plus $10,000, so it's $36,000. So then she's breached that constitutional contributions um, limit of $27,500, so she'll need to pay tax on any amount over the cap, and that's going to be considered non-concessional contribution. So in this case, she will need to pay more tax on about $8,500. Now, notice this is in addition to the Division 293 tax. I haven't even gone into that. I've done a special episode on it, so go back and listen to it if you're interested, because she's also breached the $250,000 tax threshold for the Div 293. So that's different. I'm talking about excess contributions tax. So when you're part of a CPF or Constitutional Protected Fund, what are your options? You have three main options. The first option is you can access the super when you reach the preservation age, just like any other super funds. And the first $1.5 to $1.6 million is taxed at around 17%. Anything above that is taxed at about 47% or up to 47%. The second option is you can actually roll over part of your untaxed component of, of the CPF fund to a taxed super fund. Now, if you did that, then you've got to pay contributions taxed on any of those rollovers, which is at 15%. And if you breach the cap, then you pay 47% on the part above the breach. The third option is you can transfer your super to a regular income stream. Again, 15% tax is applied to this when you do this. And if you breached the transfer balance cap, then you can pay up to 47% tax on the excess amount above the cap. So those are your three options and it's relatively complicated And there's not many constitutionally protected funds around still in Australia. And, you know, they say death and taxes are the two things which are guaranteed in life. Although CPF funds sound great, 
initially because there's no tax on contributions, you really need to do your sums to see if it works out better for you over the long term. But what a great question. So thank you very much for that from Dr. Yud, who suggested this particular gem. Now to the main topic, what is a buyer's agent? Now, basically, a buyer's agent is an advocate for the buyer. They're also referred to as buyer's advocates. And they are professionals and they're registered and they have to be registered. And usually they're completely independent and they don't actually own a real estate agency on the side. Now, if they do, it's a potential red flag. So make sure that the person that you're dealing with is not also selling properties on the side. I mean, ideally, you'd get a buyer's agent, which is completely independent. And basically, their job is they help you purchase properties on your behalf. So they do all the negotiations, etc. And they often keep the buyer anonymous to the vendor's real estate agent. Now, that's not compulsory, but a lot of buyers may want to remain anonymous um, because you know they don't want to show any emotion. And quite often the inspections, the buyer's agents actually do the inspection as well, but the buyer actually attends the inspection, but they may not talk to each other during that process. So the estate agent kind of doesn't know that the buyer's agent is representing the buyer. And the advantage of a buyer's advocate or buyer's agent is that often they have an extensive contacts list with the real estate market. And they often have access to off-market properties or properties where the vendor does not want it listed in the open market. So basically, the vendor says to the real estate agent, I don't want this listed for various reasons. So, you know, particularly someone who doesn't want, you know, their ex-partner to know that they're selling that particular property. In that case, they might want an off-market listing and the real estate agent sends out the emails to various buyer's advocates to say, hey, we've got a property coming up. Is there someone that's interested? Now, if you're a property uh, sort of geek, then you may actually, you know, not need a buyer's agent or buyer's advocate and the real estate agent can often contact you directly. Um, And, you know, This has happened to me in the past where I'm constantly hunting for properties for various reasons or I'm, you know, I just like property um, in the sense that I just like browsing. And sometimes the real estate agents, you know, text me or call me and say, hey, Dev, you know, we've got one coming up. Um, Certainly in the last sort of 12 to 24 months, um, I've sort of died down on that sort of interested in the property side of things because I'm very much focused on the stock market because, you know, like I say, my Vanguard portfolio never rings me up to fix the plumbing. So I'm not in any hurry to buy another investment property, but certainly I'm a very avid monitor uh, of the property market in and around where I live and also places of interest um, that, that I have. And the biggest thing about buyer's advocates is they're on the purchaser's side, they're on the buyer side and they often do, you know, detailed intelligence on the property, including any zonings, overlays, and they assess the contracts as well. But you need to get your own lawyer to assess the contracts independently. And they, you know, buyer's agents can offer 
sort of a variety of services. So they can do the whole thing like searching, inspecting, contract negotiation, auction bidding, private sale purchases. So they can do it all. Or if you're interested and if you're happy to search for your own properties, then you can do all the searching and do your own due diligence, then just have them negotiate and work on the vendor's agents to try and get the best price. So it really depends. And some buyers advocates sort of have a range of services that they offer. So how much do they cost? Well, there's no standard costs, but generally, if you budget for around 1% of the sale price, it seems reasonable. And some of the buyer's advocates or buyer's agents have a fixed price fee, um, others go on the sale price. Um, now, generally speaking, though, if you're looking at top end of the market, so, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars, then it's most likely going to be a percentage basis. And but if you're going between the sort of, you know, 500,000 to potentially 1.5 mil, then you're probably going to you know, have a fixed priced buyer's advocate. Because, you know, if you're buying a property worth, you know, $5 million, then, you know, most buyer's advocates would probably have to spend a significant amount of their resources and time in order to find the correct property for you. And it's not in their best interest to offer you a fixed price deal unless the fixed price is reasonable, like, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars uh, most of them would probably want a percentage of the final sale price. Now, who actually uses a buyer's agent or buyer's advocates? Well, generally speaking, people who are time poor. So a lot of doctors use them. And, you know, people that need support in their purchasing process, someone, you know, to hold their hand and go through the process step by step, particularly if you're a first-time buyer and people who want access to off-market properties and people who want specific auction strategies. But essentially what you're buying when you're using a buyer's advocate is you're buying time. You want to buy back your time so you don't have to waste your time to try and hunt for properties or do the negotiation with the real estate agents. And, you know, real estate agents, you know, their primary aim is to get the best price for their vendor. So then I have your best interest at heart and they can be quite difficult to deal with, uh, particularly when you're dealing with higher end properties, you know, anything above sort of three, four, five million dollars. Um, some of the real estate agents can be quite difficult to deal with in the sense that, you know, what's in it for them if you attend a property for an inspection to spend time with you without them actually knowing that you're being serious about the property. So, you know, you you don't have to show your financials. You know, it's basically how how you appear um, to be interested in the property. And, you know, for them, they don't want to be wasting time on someone who's just browsing property for the heck of it. And a lot of people do this on a weekend where they actually have no interest in buying the house or land, but they just go and have a look at it. And I know people that do that on a routine basis because they want some ideas about landscaping. They want some ideas about internal decorations. So they go and see high-end properties to get some ideas for their own property. So they have absolutely no intention of buying the property. 
but they're going to have a look at it. And it's not illegal. You can do that if you want. But um, certainly, you know, if you want to save time and stress, those are the types of people that want to be using buyer's advocates. Now, remember, the main aim of the buyer's agent and the buyer's advocates is to protect the purchaser. The main aim of the real estate agent is to act for the vendor. The real estate agent is working for the vendor. They are not working for the purchaser. They're very nice. They may have your you know, full attention. They may come across as being very genuine, and almost all of them are. But at the end of the day, they don't really care about you, the buyer. They care about their vendor because it's the vendor that pays them. And why would they care what you think? Now, what's the usual process? So essentially, when you want to get a buyer's advocate, you've got to interview them. So you might have a clarity call or clarity meeting uh, with them. And, you know, you've got to be transparent about what your needs are. You've got to be very specific in your criteria for the property, such as, you know, what is the land size you want, what home characteristics, if there's any frontage requirements, overlays, trees, no trees, um, is it for principal place of residence or is it for investment purposes, school zones, um, any future plans for demolition and knockdown rebuilds, and, you know, future-proofing it, so any development potential for uh, multi-unit townhouses, etc. And, you know, do you want a full finder's service as well? And, you know, or do you want to do all your own research? So you've got to be very specific and you've got to have a list. And it's always good to keep it in writing via email or something like that so it's trackable. Um, But be as specific as possible. And be very transparent and ask them for their fees. And what are they delivering for their fees? Now, I've done heaps of episodes on fees. Don't get me started on fees. You pay fees because you want something in return. And when you're hiring someone to buy, you know, to help you buy the home of your dreams, then you want to make sure that that person is qualified and is able to tell you exactly what their fees are and what they're going to deliver as a result. And usually when you engage a buyer's advocate, you sign a contract between yourself and the buyer's advocate um, and there's a time frame. Um, I don't think buyer's advocates have unlimited time frame. So usually it's between, you know, two and four months is what they normally quote. Um, and you've got to find your property within that time, give or take a few weeks. But they're not going to be there, you know, for, you know, six to 12 months. Again, it depends on the type of property. So certainly if you're buying something that's significantly expensive, like five or, you know, $10 million properties, and maybe they want to hang around for that 12 months, but generally two to four months is roughly what I've come across. And, uh, you know, also don't forget in terms of their fees, if you're a returning client or if you've got a friend's referral discount, you know, I think it's important to ask them, hey, look, I've been referred by a friend and is there any discounts applied to that? And some of them do offer discounts, like $1,000 off their, you know, finder's fee or whatever. And usually what they do is they probably send you a list of properties and communicate with you on a weekly basis to see where you're at. And 
the thing that you need to remember though, the buyer's agent fee has got nothing to do with the home loan amount. So you've got to make sure that you get your home loans all sorted out before you engage a buyer's agent. Otherwise, it's, you know, as soon as they buy the house, as soon as they secure that property for you, you got to pay the buyer's agent and the buyer's advocate, okay? So that's got nothing, you can't say, oh, look, I'll pay you when I get my home loan approval. Well, that's not, it's not subject to home loan approval. As soon as they get the property for you, you have to pay them. Now, if you get your finance not sorted, they wouldn't really care about it, okay? So your finance approval is between you and your bank. It's got nothing to do with the buyer's agent. And usually there are some clauses in the contract that you need to be aware of. So for example, you know, you're not allowed to engage with the vendor's agent um, at all. So you can't engage with real estate agents. So be careful and just know your rights and limitations. So what did we do? We actually bought our first property way back in 2009 when the property market at that time was extremely hot. Now, nowhere in my wildest imagination did I think that the property market, at least in Melbourne, will get to the stage as it is now. And we used a buyer's agent. And we got the property secured and it worked out well. It was less stress and uh, we paid a fee and I can't remember how much it was um, back then. And overall, the process was pretty easy. Um, we were, you know, first-time buyers and we didn't really know what to expect. Um, because the market was so hot, we were getting frustrated because every time we'd rock up to an auction or, you know, every time we go and inspect a property, you know, it would be advertised at a price and then, you know, you go to the auction and you get blown away. So we just found the process of buying the property a lot easier. And would we use a buyer's agent again? Most likely we would. Um, certainly if we're thinking about upgrading our principal place of residence, then um, I think that's probably the way that we would do it because, you know, I don't have time to personally do all the research associated with buying a next home um, because for me, time now is much more valuable than what it was in 2009. So it would make sense for me to do everything myself. Um, so most likely, yes, I would be using a buyer's advocate. Hopefully this clarifies what a buyer's agent is. At the end of the day, you get what you pay for. You could do all the home hunting yourself and outsource it to, a buyer, um, outsource it to no one, or you can actually outsource it to a buyer's agent. There is no right or wrong answer, um, but I'm just finding in Australia the role of buyer's agents is becoming more and more prominent and relevant as the market is getting harder and harder and harder in most capital city markets. So that's about it for this episode. Please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever podcasting platform that you may be using because it helps spread the podcast in front of more eyes. The more people that listen to this means the more people will get to know the basics of financial principles. And on that note, here's a review I found on Apple Podcast from CK Sid, who writes, one-stop shop for all of your questions, 
Hey Dev, thanks for taking a lot of effort to uplift the knowledge level of fellow Australians about personal finance. It's very hard to get such a vast amount of information in one place. I've gone through almost all of your episodes and I think it's helped me immensely. I'm a first generation immigrant to this great nation and financial well-being is not an option for me, but a must. Listening to your EV episode, I've started a serious search for a suitable EV for me as a next purchase instead of an ice car. Thanks once again. Keep it up and thank you for the great work. That's a very nice review. Um, so if you do leave a five-star rating on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate you write a review because it makes a big difference because when I read it, it gives me great feedback um, and, you know, gives me a bit of a boost to create more good content and free content for all of you. So thank you very much for that. And uh, good luck with the EV hunt. Look, I mean, I've sort of looked at the EV market in Australia and I think it's getting better and better. Um, Honda Kona has improved range. Uh, I think the 2022 Tesla Model 3 range has also improved, according to the latest reports. So, you know, more and more, it, it just kind of doesn't make sense. If you're certainly looking for a Mercedes, BMW, Audi, that sort of range car, it doesn't make any sense, really, to buy internal combustion engine cars. Um, I think you should really consider an EV. Sure, it's not mainstream yet, and I think it's going to be in the next five years. Um, and Australia is, you know, no matter no matter what happens on the global stage, 25% of our energy in Australia comes from renewable sources. That's fact, and that's going to improve over time. So, um, yeah, seriously consider an EV. But, of course, if it's for personal use, please pay cash. Don't lease it. Don't borrow money. It's a disaster. And... If you don't have any savings and if you've got consumer debt and if you don't have any investments and you're not maximizing your super, then don't buy a car. That's that expensive. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, remember to like the DevRaka Facebook page, shout out to questions and comments and topic suggestions, share this channel with family and friends, Apple Podcast, any podcasting app that you use. And remember, always pay yourself first. That's very, very important. It's fundamental. Take 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. That's your money never to be used ever again, apart from straight to investments. Learn about constitutionally protected funds. It's a really good question. And if you're on a hunt for a property in this market, good luck to you. You may want to consider a buyer's agent. Uh, it may provide some peace of mind. This is DevRaka Personal Finance, episode 134. And as always, please make sure you stay safe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 